my on? There we go. Good morning. Tom Ricks, I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. Uh, and we are doing things just a little bit differently this morning. We're going to have uh, a greeting time in a few minutes, so don't panic. We're going to give everybody a chance to, to spend some time saying hello to one another this morning. But uh, as promised, over the last few weeks, we wanted to give you an update on our MOVE initiative, which we kicked off last fall, uh, three phases of moving, moving hearts, moving home, and moving beyond. And this morning, we're going to take some time to concentrate on moving home and giving you an update on all the details pertaining to that. Summer's almost here. Everybody's kind of getting ready to scatter to the four winds. And so before, uh, before summer gets going in full speed, we wanted to give you a brief update. Uh, the first thing I want to do is introduce a group of men to you. When this whole project started, actually before we got started on it, uh, one of the concerns that the leadership has was how do we take on such a, a big project and make sure the pastors continue to be pastors and the elders continue to be elders and they don't become project managers. And so with that in mind, I recruited a team of men, uh, all of whom I believe are spiritually mature, all of whom I believe are men of character, uh, all of whom love the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and none of whom have children in the children's ministry, so they couldn't make that the first and, and highest uh, priority of the project. So I'm going to introduce them to you now. They're going to stand up as I mention their names. And after this service is over, in between the first and the second service, if you have questions that this report kind of brings to mind and I don't answer them in the next seven or eight minutes, they will be in the library. They're not going to stand in the hallway because it's a little too noisy. But if you go out the back door and you hang a left and you just go down one block and you look on the right, you'll see the library. They will be in there in between services and they will answer any question that you may have. So, Ricky Meyer, are you here this morning? I didn't see Ricky. Oh, he is. He snuck in. I didn't see him. Stay standing until I introduce everybody. Bruce Owens. I saw Bruce over here. Dan McGinnis, who's leading the, the building part of this project. Uh, Doug Pope is kind of our overall manager. He's back there. And the, keep waving so everybody in the front can see you. And Tom Warner represents the elders on this team. And Tom's right there behind Ricky. Um, so I just wanted you to see all of their faces and know that these are guys that are working on this continually. And so if you see them in the hallway in church three weeks from now and you went, oh, I got a question, these would be the guys to turn to and they could give you an up-to-date message. Everything that I'm going to share with you this morning, they're fully aware of. They've helped put together. Thank you guys very much for, for all your work. I also want to mention to you that you might think you've got to frantically take out a pen and paper and write down a bunch of notes. You don't need to do that. You can if you want to. But when you leave this morning, everything you see on the screen, all the information that you're going to get is going to be given to you in a handout. So you can grab that on the way out and you just kind of relax and breathe through this and don't feel like you have to write everything down because hopefully we have that covered. So first and foremost, we want to talk about the things that we have to celebrate. How is God uh, moving us along uh, in this process? And there's several different ways, several different things I want to mention to you this morning. The first is that 70% of the Green Tree Community Church family, 70% of our members and regular attenders are participating in the MOVE initiative, uh, either through pledges or through giving or through a combination of both. 70% of our congregation is actively involved in the MOVE initiative. To that end, we've raised, about, or we have pledged as a congregation, $5.2 million. And of that $5.2, we've already received $1.4 million of the pledges. So we are actually tracking right on, if you just kind of broke it up over a two-year period, month by month, we're actually tracking right about where we should be. 
Uh, we are exceeding the expectations for a congregation our size, and let me be clear about that. When we, uh, when we first took this project on, we knew building a Kirkwood was A, a priority for us. We wanted to be a community church, and B, that that would be expensive. Uh, we could do this for a lot less money, but we didn't feel like we could do it the way God was calling us to do it for a lot less money. And when we uh, talked to the consultant who's helped us, he kind of said, you want to raise how much money and your church is how big? And I said, don't worry about that. I got the greatest church in America. So we'll, we'll get there. You just help us know how to, how to do things. So I, I hope I haven't overspoken for you all, but uh, I, did, I did brag on you just a little bit. But we are exceeding those expectations. And I think part of that is because we've been talking about this in terms of discipleship. We haven't been talking about this in terms of, you know, it's all about money. We've been talking about this in terms of following Jesus. And I think that has to continue to be our framework for everything in life, and, and certainly this MOVE initiative. If we're not following Christ in this, then we ought not be doing it. But I think the facts are, one of the reasons why we can celebrate this morning, one of the reasons why we can thank God that we've moved closer to uh, home in this part of the initiative is because of the discipleship aspect of what we're trying to do. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, we're going to get there. We're going to, we're going to get home unless the Lord Jesus comes back uh, between now and, and maybe 18 to 24 months from now. And if he does, then we're really going to get home home, and that would be oh, good. I, good. I have a recurring nightmare that's like we're at the ribbon-cutting ceremony, and Jesus comes back. And I have to be okay with this. Like I, I have my hand on the front door, but, but I don't get to get in. But that would actually be a really, really, really good thing. So where are we in the, in the process? Where are we? I want to talk about the fundraising just a little bit. So we have our little cylinder over here, and if you have a good memory, or if you've picked up one of these uh, booklets lately on the offering table, we've got little offering churches in the front and the back. We have our, our move booklets there. You'll recognize that 8.4 number. And $8.4 million represents the amount of money we need in order to complete the project, in order to qualify for the loan that the bank will give us, in order to not take on too much long-term debt that would, that would financially suffocate us. That's the number that we need to reach. Where we are today, if you look at where we are today, we are at a total of $7.15 million. Now, I'm going to explain that number in just a minute, okay? Because if you were, if you were listening, you heard 5.2, and you think I switched gears on you. I didn't. That, those numbers will balance in just a minute. So we are within one and a quarter million dollars of being able to break ground. And let me remind you that when I say break ground, what I mean is complete the project. In other words, we don't want to break ground and then come back six months later and go, well, now we got to wait to put the roof on because we don't have the money for that. We want to be able, when we put a hole in the ground, it means we fully qualified with the bank. The construction numbers are good. We're within our budget, and we can do this in a wise way. We want to, we want to count the cost before we put the shovel in the ground. So that's how much more we need in pledges or cash in order to get going on the project. Okay. Now, how did we get to the, to the 7.15? Let's go on to the next slide if we could. Remember, our, our immediate goal, our, our initial goal is 8.4. Now I'm going to start giving you some numbers. That's the pledged number. I've already mentioned that. Then we have giving that comes in very faithfully all the time on a regular basis, but there isn't a pledge card with it. So there hasn't been a pledge that's been filled out. And so we look at the history of what we call non-pledged giving in order to say, well, what will that number be over the next two years and not just make it kind of a, 
a wild guess. You know, say, well, I, I think today it's 1.1. There's a lot of research that's gone into that number. That's an accurate number. And some of that money has begun to come in already. So that is part of the budget. Then we look at savings. And this is where Dan and Doug and, and their teams have been doing great work. Uh, there's about half a million dollars from the original estimates on the building to what the costs are today. So as they've honed the project, as they've worked the numbers in a, in a wise and studious way, for your benefit, for my benefit, they have found savings of $500,000. Additionally, on top of that, our budget team and our staff has worked very diligently to find places where operationally we can save money. Okay, so that's our annual budget, year in and year out. So the Sunday school classrooms, renting space here at North Kirkwood, our office space, paying salaries, benefits, those sorts of things. Uh, we have been able to find $200,000 in savings. Then the other area that I want to try to explain to you is the value of converting pledges to cash. So when the bank looks at our pledges, let's say we have $5 million in pledges just for the sake of conversation. What the bank says is we will guarantee you a loan based on 75% of that number. In other words, they know that, that not all of us are going to get all the way through with our pledge. There's going to be some amount given that's less than what is promised. So they discount the pledge cards. But when we convert our pledges into cash, so uh, on the 15th, two days ago, right, two days ago, I sat down on my computer and I gave my monthly gift to the MOVE campaign. That move from being a pledge to cash. The bank doesn't discount cash. So the more cash we have on hand, the better off we are. Cash is 100%, pledge is 75%. So folks that have already given it to, this, uh, to the pledge, they've already begun to, to give to that. Every time we give, that converts it from a pledge to a cash, and that amounts to some kind of savings with the bank, which to this point is $150,000. So you add all of that up, and you have the eight, you have, excuse me, you add up all these numbers right here, and you hit the 7.15, and it shows the difference that is remaining today. What's our timeline? Where do we kind of, where do we go from here? What are, what are the, the options we have? So I'm going to give you just one potential timeline, because the facts are we could make up five or six different timelines, but this is the one that seems, given the information we have, uh, to be the, the challenge in front of us, the opportunity in front of us to move in by Christmas of 2015, uh, which means that Chip and Peggy and everybody that, that, that do all the worship stuff would have one more year uh, in a home away from home uh, before we would move in. So in order to do that, what would we need to do? We would need to break ground uh, by this fall, or we'd need to have a pretty mild winter and be able to break ground by early 2015. That means that that, that $1.25 million that we need either in pledges or in cash, so I can, I can, I can uh, give cash or I can, I, can, I can make a pledge if I've never made a pledge before. If you'd like to make a pledge, that helps. So all of that helps. If we have that by August the 1st, the construction company and the bank have said that we can, we can get going and we can be in by Christmas. So that's a big challenge. That's an enormous challenge. $1.25 million is not a small amount of money, especially for folks who are already giving as faithfully as you guys are giving. But we want to at least put that opportunity in front of everyone and says, here's what it is. If we don't hit that, we'll get there. 
it'd be a few months later, and we will eventually break ground, and we will do this in a fiscally responsible way. So if, if we don't hit that, it's not bad news. It just means that we delay a little bit longer, and there, there's nothing wrong with uh, having patience and waiting for something that you're really looking forward to, an appropriate amount of time, in order to be fiscally responsible. But should we bridge the gap, we would be able to start uh, by this fall. So what does that mean for each one of us? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? And we're going to put some things on the screen. And what I'd like to ask each of you to do is find yourself someplace in, in these bullet points. As you look at these bullet points, every person in this room can say, that's me, I can do that, or I can keep doing this, or I can start doing something I haven't done before. The first thing is that every one of us should be praying every day for this. I think it is absolutely important and crucial, again, that we approach this from a discipleship manner. I don't ever want to be a church that focuses just on buildings and on money and on what, you know, what we want to kind of create. I want us to focus on discipleship and on the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives. And so in order for us to not get off track and in order for us to be faithful, I think every one of us needs to be praying every day. But you can also, I mentioned before, perhaps you haven't made a pledge yet. Uh, we would love for you to do that. There are pledge cards on the tables, like I said, in the front. In the back, you can fill it out. You can drop it right in the offering church, again, on, on either area. But if you haven't made a pledge, let me encourage you to do so. If you are part of the Green Tree family, if you're a visitor this morning, I'm not talking to you right now. We don't expect you to, uh, to make a pledge. We're happy that you're here visiting us, and we're sorry that your timing is so bad. You have to sit through all of all this family business this morning. Uh, the second thing I could do is I could increase my current pledge. I could, I could grow that a little bit. Uh, I could also give an additional gift above and beyond my pledge. So one of the things that I'm thinking of personally is during the month of June and July, instead of clicking on move for my gift, is just not clicking on anything and just letting it be an additional, and then I'll make up those two months later on. But that would help us have a little bit more cash a little bit quicker. So I could give an additional gift. Uh, or perhaps I could decide, you know what, I've got this pledge sitting out there, and it's worth, you know, 75% of the total to the bank, but if I have the money right now and it's not really doing anything else, it would be great to give it right now. It'd be extraordinarily helpful if I were in a position where I could just turn that pledge into cash sooner instead of later. That helps us with the bank. So my encouragement to you, to all of us, is to find yourself someplace in here uh, so that we can all take this journey together. We can all take the appropriate steps. And oh, by the way, did I mention that we should all be praying? The last, uh, the last informational part of this is how do you stay informed? How do you keep up with what we're doing? Um, the first thing is just grab a handout when you leave this morning. As I said, the details I've given you, plus a little bit more, are on that sheet. It's a very nice front and back, so you want to grab one of those. I want to also mention that you can go to the website. You can go to the regular Green Tree site, but it will steer you here. You can just go straight to greentreemoves.com. Everything I've shared with you this morning and any updates that you get are going to be on the website. Uh, there's plenty of emails that come out, and when the email says move, you know that it's an update on this information. And then just to let you know, we'll give another update like this on Sunday, August the 10th, because remember, August the 1st, is the opportunity, if we, if we hit that 1.25, August the 1st is that deadline. So we'll be back to let everybody know how we did and what the next steps are uh, in the process. And then as we go through the fall, we'll, we'll do that. So that's the technical information. I want to, before we uh, pray for this, I want to just 
bring us back to uh, remembering why we're doing this. And so I thought about all the things I could talk about this morning. I thought about, you know, we could come back to second grade Bibles last week and how great that was, or our youth ministry. thought about talking about people who have come to Christ in the last year through the ministries of Green Tree and, and folks who have come to Christ last year. And I thought about kind of focusing it all on everybody else instead of me, but I decided instead that I probably should be honest with you and tell you my story. So I have this jar that sits on my desk in my office. And if any of you have been in my office, you know uh, about this. It kind of looks like a beaker, like a giant beaker that I had in high school biology, which I didn't do too well. And I've got a, a little sticker on the front. Diana Rolfing made this for me because the one I had I just wrote in pen. And it says one fund, and that's got a dollar sign. And so whenever anybody comes into my office, I say, you know, do you have, you have any loose change? I'm astounded how many people don't carry loose change anymore. Y'all need to start carrying loose change a little bit more. So you have loose change. If you don't have loose change, you got a dollar bill. I don't want a lot, but, but give me something. So I kind of tease people when they come in um, and remind them about it. But it's really, the truth be told, it's not for them. This is for me. And, it, and most of the money in here is money that I've put in here. And I'm not saying that to brag because there's maybe... 40 bucks in here at the, at the most. But every day when I come in, it reminds me of a couple things. It reminds me to uh, let God stretch and grow me. I think it would be safe for me to say I've never had to sacrifice, truly sacrifice, in my life for anything. I mean, really give up something in order to grow the kingdom of God. And I think God's calling me to do that. I think God's calling me to give sacrificially this. So that, that jar reminds me of that. It also reminds me to pray for you guys because I think you need to give sacrificially too. And I know that tons of you are giving sacrificially. A lot of folks at Green Tree are giving way more than they've ever given at Green Tree before. So don't, don't hear a finger wag in that statement. But I think we need to give sacrificially because I think it's about discipleship. I think it's about putting first the kingdom of God. And in this particular situation, it happens to be about trying to put our roots down deeply into green tree so that we can continue over the years to come, Lord willing, and by his grace, even when those of us who are here are gone, to uh, continue to reach this community, continue to plant churches, continue to grow the kingdom of God in us, by us, and through us. And so I want every person at Green Tree, you know, if, if I could have one thing for everybody at Green Tree, it wouldn't be physical health, it wouldn't be a great career, it would be an intimate, deep, and abiding relationship with Jesus. And I think the sacrifice brings me more into touch with that. So I put that jar on my desk, and if you have any loose change, it'll be up here after the service. How was that? That was a nice segue, wasn't it? Um, but it'll, it reminds me that this is about following him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for um, sheer goodness to us, your mercy and your grace. It's astounding to me how patient you are with a sinner like me. I'm amazed at how you have blessed a church like Green Tree, just a little tiny group, four or 500 people, how you've called us to follow you into a pretty incredible adventure over these past 15 years and, and whatever the next 15 years may be if, if you don't come back. Father, I thank you that it's this generation that, to which you've given this opportunity because we get to be part of, of something pretty amazing. So Father, we pray for uh, humility of spirit, 
We pray for hearts that will embrace the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord, that we would be willing disciples. And Father, regardless of, of the timing of the move home, I pray that you would just grow within each one of us a desire and a longing to give in every area of our lives, not just about money, but to give our time and our energy and our resources. Think of what Mike Dinkoff stood and said last week about, about giving time to teaching second graders. Father, give us sacrificing hearts so that there wouldn't be anything that, that we wouldn't want to do to bring glory and honor to you and to grow your kingdom. So, Lord, for, for the details of this, for the timing of this, Lord, we leave those in your hands. We pray that you would speak to each one of us according to what your will would be for our lives. And we give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you take a couple minutes and stand up and greet the folks around you? outside aisles. If you wouldn't mind grabbing the attendance books and signing those, passing those towards the middle. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad to have you at Green Tree Community Church. Thanks for being here. Uh, if there's anything we can do to answer questions for you, fill in the blanks, any, any way we can uh, help you engage in learning more about Green Tree, we're happy to do that. The easiest way to get your questions answered is to fill that little booklet out with your contact information and with your questions. So if you have a certain question about a certain area of ministry, jot that down. Tell us whether you want us to email you or call you, however you want us to reach out. Uh, come, and, uh, come and visit you. We'll be happy to do that. We won't do that automatically, but if you want us to come by and visit, we will. Uh, but anyway, we can make your pathway in a green tree smooth. We would like to, uh, we'd like to be able to do that. Uh, in, your, uh, in your Seasons Weekly this morning, the registrations for 2028. 2028 is our service day. It's coming up in the middle of June, June the 14th, and today is the first day. We are taking registrations for that, so you can, uh, you can fill those out. You can drop them in the offering churches. You can go by the table, and you, I think we can register online, too. Is that right? Thank you, Nancy, for giving me a head nod on that. You can also register online, and I just want to remind you that this year, we want to, again, emphasize serve our neighbors, so if you have somebody in your neighborhood or a friend at work that might need some additional help, uh, maybe there's a widow that lives in your neighborhood that perhaps has could use some yard work, that sort of thing. Any way that we can help our neighbors, we'd love to do that. So you can sign up, uh, let us know about those particular projects. But uh, we want to start uh, getting everybody signed up for that day coming up in the middle of June. And then I also want to remind you, were these in the bulletin too or are they on the table? Did you get one of these yet? They did. Oh, they're okay. If you didn't get one, they're on the table on the way out. Next Sunday, don't come to North Middle School. We won't be here. Okay, we're going to be at the, at the park. One service, uh, 10 o'clock, Memorial Day weekend, and then we're having a, a lunch afterwards, all the information about 
what's your name, and let's see, what am I bringing this year? I'm bringing a side dish this year. So all that information is on here. But the other thing about this card is really cool. If you even wanted to invite a friend to check out Green Tree, next Sunday would be a great deal to do it at the park, and you can have a free lunch. You can just hand them this card and tell them to stick it on their refrigerator uh, and uh, use that as a way to invite friends. But we will be at, at Kirkwood Park next week, and I, and I mentioned you can stay connected by emails. You're going to get an email reminder of that. So that when you pull into the parking lot here next week, you'll go, oh, got to go over to Kirkwood Park, and you'll know to get over there. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount and growing as disciples of Jesus. Before I get into the sermon, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping from last Sunday where we talked about marriage. Uh, and I had a couple of conversations with friends throughout the week and said, you didn't talk too much about the issue of divorce. And I'm a little uh, in the dark about that, as to how that has impacted my life and my experience. And uh, I want you to know, I know I didn't go down that road. I did not have time in that passage to go down that road. But I want you to know that if you have questions about that, I would be more than happy. The pastors, the elders would be more than happy to talk to you about that. I don't want anybody, Anton and I were talking about this week, and I, Anton was asking some questions, and I said, I don't want anybody to feel a guilt and a shame they should not, and I don't want anyone to be ignorant of their sin either. I don't want either of those things. So if you have questions about that, uh, we will be more than happy to try and help you answer those questions. So... I bought my wife a coffee mug a few years ago, and it said, don't get mad, get even. Anybody ever heard of that? So I got a little picture about that this morning. I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's a baby alligator on top of a really big daddy alligator, and he said, that one, Dad, he called me a gecko, <laughs> right? <laughs> don't get mad, get even. Speaks to the insatiable desire of my heart and your heart to define justice in a way that I come out on top, in a way that I am right, in a way that allows me to exert my control and influence over my world so that no one ever does me wrong. And if they do, they certainly learn not to do it again because they pay for it. What did Jesus have to say about me balancing the books? What does Jesus have to say about you seeking personal retribution against someone who has harmed you, and what has he not said on that topic? Matthew 5, verses 38 through 42, hear the word of God. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And there he's, he's literally quoting the Mosaic law. We'll come to that in just a minute or two. But I say to you, do not resist the evil, the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn him the other also. If anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we come to study your word. We ask this morning that you would... Forgive the person who is teaching because he has many, many sins. And he could certainly be a hindrance and an obstacle instead of a pathway to a relationship with Christ. Lord Jesus, we don't come here to hear the words of man. We come to hear your truth. We long for you to speak into our lives. Lord, we live in a broken world and 
sometimes a dangerous world. We live in a world that preaches and teaches the notion of retribution and revenge. So, Father, if we're going to go down a different pathway, it is not going to be natural for us. It is not going to feel comfortable. It is not going to be the thing that we want to do. And so if you don't change our hearts, we'll, we'll just live our lives according to the standards of this world instead of being set free by your gospel. And we want to be set free. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and you would teach us. We pray in your name. Amen. Let me give you just a bit of background on this passage where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I mentioned a minute ago, he's quoting directly out of the Mosaic Law. And you could look at your Old Testament. I'll save you the time. You could look at three different passages. You could go to Exodus chapter 21, or you could go to Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. And in all three of those passages, you would find this language, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So is Jesus suggesting that the Mosaic Law is being pushed aside and that he's introducing something new that's never been heard of before that everyone needs to embrace if they're going to follow him? And I would say clearly that is not accurate based on our study of the passage earlier in this chapter in verses 17 and following where Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, heaven and earth will not pass away Heaven and earth, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. So Jesus is not discarding the Mosaic law. What is he doing? Well, he's reminding his listeners, and he's reminding us this morning as his listeners, that the Mosaic law was given not only as a moral law, but perhaps as important, or even perhaps more importantly, it was given as direction for the civil authorities in the nation of Israel. In other words, when Moses was writing down the law, he was giving, getting ready to give it somewhat as a constitution to those who would be the judges in Israel, to those who would lead the courts. What Jesus was concerned about was that the, as he spoke to Moses and gave him uh, the law back in the Old Testament, what he was concerned about was that the people of Israel would reflect the justice and the mercy of God in their legal system both. And so God said to Moses, we're not going to allow criminals to run rampant and not be punished for their crime. We're not going to allow people to steal and not have to make restitution. That's the idea, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you knock out someone's eye, what does that mean as far as retribution? Your eye isn't knocked out, but there's a payment that's going to be made. It was instruction for the legal system, but by Jesus' day, and even probably many years before Jesus' day, it had morphed into a legitimization of personal retribution. In other words, I could get even with you, I just need to be fair in the way I did it. So if you punched me in the nose... I couldn't stab you. I could only, I could only punch you in the nose. It had, to, it had to balance itself out. But it left the courts, so to speak, out of the equation. So if you're going to get even, the, the, the slogan wouldn't be, don't get mad, get even. It would say, get even, but make sure you're fair in the process. Make sure you're, you're a fair-minded person in the process. And Jesus calls us to a different pathway. He calls us to a different pathway, first and foremost, by defining the issue. Look at the first part of verse 39. Do not resist 
the one who is evil. So the first question we have to ask and answer is, how do you define the evil person? What is God's definition of someone who is evil? And it's very simply this. It's one who is against God's law, he is against God's word, and he is against God's Messiah. Therefore, they are against Jesus' disciples. Jesus told his disciples the night before he went to the cross, the world has hated me. It's going to hate you. And so the notion of evil is that there are people in this world who reject the law of God, reject the word of God, reject his Messiah. And so anyone who aligns themselves with that camp is going to be considered an enemy of theirs. That is the one that Jesus describes as evil. He's not talking about the evil one, the devil, Satan, who is spoken of in James 4. And in 1 Peter 2, when he says, do not resist the one who is evil, because both of those passages say very clearly, resist the evil one. Stand your ground. Fight against him. Your enemy is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So be ready for the fight. We're not talking about the spiritual side of the struggle. We're talking about the, the physical, the human side of the struggle. Nor is Jesus teaching pacifism here. And I'm going to take a minute to walk through this because I think this is where this passage is abused more than any other. John Stott said when he was talking about um, this notion of, of pacifism, he said, I probably, uh, if a thief breaks into my house and he's broken into my house because he's poor and he needs food, I should sit him down at the table and I should feed him while I'm calling the police <laughs> because he's broken the law. We're not talking about a pacifism that, that has nothing to do with Christianity, but simply has to do with someone having an attitude that they're going to take advantage of other people. Jesus isn't talking about here about the playground bully. Right? When Jordan, our oldest, was five years old, he was one of the biggest kids in his class, and he would go down the slide, and at the bottom of the slide there was a little fellow sitting there who thought he owned the playground. And every time Jordan would hit the ground, he would be waiting for him, and he'd shove him, and he would knock him over. And Jordan would get back up, and I, as his dad we'd, and mom, we'd always taught him, you know, don't pick fights, don't fight. And so he'd go back up to the top of the slide because he liked the slide. He'd go down again. This little guy who thought he owned the playground would knock him over. Teacher didn't seem to want to do anything about it. He was doing it to several other kids, and Jordan came home one day and just kind of burst into tears, told us a story. I said, when you get to the bottom of the slide, have your arm out and just let your momentum stiff arm him and knock him down, and he'll stop doing that. You say, Tom, Jesus says don't do that. It's, it don't, if, if they strike the cheek, turn the other. No, Jesus isn't talking about a playground bully. Jesus isn't talking about someone who needs to learn a lesson early in life instead of later in life. How many people get to go through life hurting everybody and never paying for it? You end up eventually paying the piper at some point. Jesus isn't talking about that. He's not even talking about the notion of a tyrannical nation. Jesus isn't saying here, you know, you should have never fought World War II. Even though Hitler was murdering the Jewish people by the thousands and eventually by the millions, you should have sat by because if they strike you on the right cheek, you should turn the left cheek. That is an abuse of this passage of Scripture. To conclude that Jesus is teaching a general pacifism on all levels for both private citizens and the government is a foolish notion that ignores this text. What Jesus is saying is that as his disciples... You are a disciple of Jesus this morning, and I am a disciple of Jesus this morning. We have a God-given duty to care spiritually for everyone, even those who hate us. 
as disciples of Jesus, we're called to not seek retribution when those who attack us attack us because of the cause of Christ. So Jesus says, if you're my disciple and you're attacked, you're harmed, you're abused, you're persecuted on some level, don't seek payback. For example, and then he gives us four examples in this test. The first one being physical persecution. Look at the second half of verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now Jesus is talking about a very specific slap here. Not a slap of anger. This is not what's going to lead to a fist fight because we're both mad at each other. We played in a pickup basketball game and you elbowed me and I kicked you in the shin and eventually we're rolling around the ground punching each other. And it all started with a slap. That's not what Jesus is speaking of here. He's speaking of a very direct insult. He's talking about a backhand slap. It's, it's the back of the hand. I actually had to sit in my office and go, my right cheek. Somebody's hitting me and they're right-handed. They, they, they would hit my left cheek. So literally, if someone's right-handed and they're going to slap you on the right cheek, it's going to be with the backhand, which means you're a fool. It means you're of no consequence. It means I have complete disdain for you and for your opinions. And what Jesus says our attitude should be is when we're struck on the right cheek, our response should be, if you're going to hit me for following Jesus, you might as well strike again on the other because I cannot recant. Jesus is talking about not a weakness, not being tepid and fearful, but he's talking about strength under control. He's talking about one of the Beatitudes that we read earlier, blessed are those who are meek. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength with self-control. You want to see meekness and action, look at Jesus on the cross. Jesus could have spoken a word and the Father would have destroyed all of mankind and he could have avoided the cross. And God wouldn't have been wrong to do that. We have rebelled against God. We deserve that punishment. But Jesus harnessed his energy. He practiced the self-discipline that has never been seen or never will be seen again. And he did not seek retribution, but rather he prayed that God would bring forgiveness. And so my response, if I am persecuted physically for Christ is to heed what, what Spurgeon said in one of his sermons. There are times when we as disciples are the anvil, and evil men are the hammer. But remember, eventually, the hammer breaks on the anvil. Our lack of revenge, our lack of, of fighting back when we suffer for the cause of Christ is one way that we can put the needs, the spiritual needs, and the care of the evil person ahead of our own. The second example Jesus gives us is not just physical persecution, but a legal persecution. Look at verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So, little nuance here in Jesus' day. The tunic is the shirt, right? And the cloak is, is the outer jacket. If, if you were kind of the, the poorest of the poor, and you were taking a court over something, you didn't have anything that you could pay you could be sued for the shirt off your back, literally, but you could also be sued for your cloak. Now, that was really radical for that to happen because the cloak was what kept you warm at night. And if you're the poorest of the poor, you're probably living outside, you know, under a tree or, or you know, under some kind of makeshift deal that you've set up. And if you were sued successfully and lost your cloak, the person who won your cloak had to find you at sundown, even though it was theirs, and they had to give it back to you for the night. That's how the Jewish legal system worked. 
Because no one deserved to be without a cloak at night. And so when Jesus says, if someone sues you for the shirt off your back, you go, well, that's bad, but at least I get to keep my cloak, right? (laughs) And they stop there. Jesus says, no, go ahead and give them your cloak as well. In other words, even if you lose everything for following me, be a person of grace. Be a person of compassion. Care more about the person who is suing you than you do yourself. Let your life be an example for others to see what it means to follow Jesus. Dr. Benjamin Mays was speaking at Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral back in the 1960s, and he was talking about this attitude of caring for others and of nonviolence. And here are some of his words from that funeral service. He said, if any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew, house bombed, living day by day for 13 years, under constant threats of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by a member of his own race, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him, and yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind, and he went up and down the length and breadth of this world preaching nonviolence, and the redemptive power of love. This morning, I, I've been concentrating more on the informational side of the text, but there's, there's the application side. The application of this is, is when we care for others. Not every enemy you care for is going to come to Christ, but they have a much better chance of coming to Christ if they see the grace of God in my life instead of hear the grace of God's in my, in my words and see the, the, the vengeance in my life. What Jesus is saying is trust the judge. Know that at one time you were his enemy. And remember when you were God's enemy, what happened? Christ died for you. So even if you suffer legal persecution at the point where you're losing your cloak, trust me, follow me, and know that I will care for you. Jesus' third example, first is physical persecution, second is legal. The third one is an oppressive persecution. Look at verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two miles. Jesus is alluding to the practice of the Romans, the the, the folks who were the the invaders and the conquerors of of his nation. And any Roman magistrate, anyone that had, I mean, it could be the local dog catcher. It didn't have to be somebody high up in in power. It could be a local foot soldier, a private in the army. They could conscript someone who was a casual passerby, uh, just a, a normal citizen, and they could force them to go a mile with them carrying their luggage or their box or whatever it was that they didn't happen to feel like carrying that day. When they got to the end of that mile, they could pick out another person and they could carry another mile for them. In other words, it was a very demeaning practice. It was very degrading and the, and the notion of this really would have sunk in deeply with the listeners in Jesus' day because probably most of the people in that crowd of disciples listening had been forced into that type of service. But as they were forced, they were angry and they were bitter and they were resentful and they were thinking of ways to get even. And Jesus says, even when authorities use their power to subject us and to add burdens to us because we follow him, don't worry about your own welfare. Count it a privilege to be numbered with Jesus. I'm going to take you to 1 Peter. I'm not going to put this on the screen, but 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 23, Peter writing to his fellow disciples in his day, and he says, For to this you have been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The attitude of going two miles implies not just a a willingness to do so, but an attitude that is even joyful in oppressive service. I read a story this week about a a farmer in China who had a very small rice paddy, and he wasn't part of the the Communist Party. He was just a a local farmer, and he uh, he had created this little pump out of a bicycle where he could pump water into his rice paddy. And every morning until about lunchtime, he would pump the water to his rice paddy, and then he would do his other work the rest of the day, only to find that his next-door neighbor, who was a member of the Communist Party and therefore couldn't be prosecuted in a court of law, would take the wood slats from where the water was running through, and he would drain this man's water into his rice paddy. So the rice farmer, who was a Christian, was praying one night. He said, Lord, if, if this keeps up, I'm, I'm going to lose my rice paddy. What do I do? How do I respond to this? How, how can I protect myself? And in his story, he says, I believe the Lord spoke to me, so I got up extra early the next morning, and I took my pump, and I went to his field. And I pumped all the water into his field, and then when I got done, I spent the rest of the day pumping water into my field. So I didn't get all the work done I needed to, but within a couple of weeks, we had a couple of really nice rice patties, and I had a neighbor who was a Christian. The willingness to joyfully endure suffering even suffering that is degrading, is the calling that Jesus places on your life and on my life if we're going to be his disciple and deal with those who persecute us and harm us. But then Jesus goes in a radically different direction in this last example. And I want you to catch this. I know we've been talking for a long time this morning, but hang with me for a couple more minutes. Jesus then puts the shoe on the other foot, and he talks to his disciples about a time when they're actually the ones in power. They're actually the ones who are enriched. They're not suffering. They're, they're actually doing okay. And he says, give to the one who begs from you, and not re- do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In other words, this is a person who, who maybe needs the money, maybe not, but they're intentionally testing you in your theology of generosity. <laughs> Does what I say about, about my generosity and following Christ match up to my life. And notice that Jesus aligns this person with the evil person. How are they evil? Well, they're evil because they're slothful. They, they refuse to work on some level. They're also evil because they're antagonistic towards God and his direction that, that everyone who's able and healthy should provide for themselves and their family. They're what Proverbs call a fool. And Proverbs has three different people in, 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 in the book of Proverbs that are listed there. The wise person, and the foolish person and the simple person. The only difference between the simple and the, and the fool is that the simple are naive because they're young and they can grow into wisdom. And the book of Proverbs says the fool is the one who is the sluggard. The fool is the one who, who refuses to do the work. And so Jesus says they're evil in that sense of the word, but your temptation is going to be at that moment, you're going to teach them a lesson. <laughs> you're going to tell them what for. You're going to explain to them why they don't deserve a penny of your money because their attitude and their heart is wrong. And Jesus says, when you're tempted to go down that road, instead let the lesson be the lesson of the generosity of God's grace. 
Be willing to give, even though you know that you probably won't get it back. But when someone is testing you in this way, someone is saying, yeah, let's see if you're really a Christian. What about me? Would you help a guy like me? <laughs> the answer is absolutely yes, because I was that guy before God. I needed grace as much as he did. This is an incredible challenge, brothers and sisters, to endure this kind of persecution. Again, we're not talking about pacifism on, on really in any sense other than pacifism in not striking back. So what we really need to learn this morning is don't get mad or even. Let's reject both of those notions. Let's, let's ask God to change our hearts first, that our behavior would change. Jesus' disciples are called in every circumstance to return good for evil in all things, in body and clothing and service and in finances. And I think this demands that you and I grow in our faith. We sit in this passage for a little while individually. We think about people uh, in our lives who may be pushing uh, some of our buttons because they know we're a believer and perhaps our response hasn't been the best. Perhaps it hasn't been physical. Physical, maybe we haven't been taken to court. <clears throat> but there's someone who just wants to bug us because we're a Christian. Because they don't think that the Christianity thing really works. That means we're going to have to really sit in this passage and grow. So that we can see people as the Father sees them. Remember what Paul said in Romans. While you were still God's enemies, Christ died for you. But also I think there's something else. It demands that we grow in our faith, not just so that we can see people the way the Father sees them, but so that even the evil person can see the Father in us. Will you pray with me? Father, this is perhaps the most challenging text we have come across yet. The notion of loving one who is oppressing us to the point that we would sacrifice our own well-being in order for them to experience the grace of God. Lord, it goes against everything our, our culture says, which means it goes against our own hearts because we are part of our culture. We can't lay it at anyone else's doorstep. It, it's at ours. But Father, we don't want it to be that way. We want to follow Jesus. We want to point people to him, even those who would abuse us for doing so. And for that, we need your strength and your power and your word to dwell in us. And so it is that for which we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us in worship?